Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. This is The Drive <laughs> with Larry Hardesty. No yelling on the bus. I always wanted that open to begin a show that I happened to be doing on that particular day. And that day has arrived. Pat O'Keefe in for Larry Hardesty. He wasn't supposed to be here today anyway. I was supposed to be here tonight. Supposed to be hosting pregame intermissions postgame for the Rangers and the Islanders. The Red Hot New York Rangers and the New York Islanders. A game that ended up being canceled due to the continued COVID-19 outbreak within the Islanders organization. So if you were tuning in for that game, unfortunately, we don't have that for you tonight. What we do have for you tonight is a capper on one of the most glorious NFL Sundays in New York and New Jersey that I can remember in quite some time. I mean, I got to tell you, as I'm flipping back and forth between the Giants and the Jets, both closing out wins this afternoon, I couldn't help but think, God, football fans in New York are just incredibly spoiled to be able to enjoy a day like this. And sarcasm aside, it was a terrific day. It was. I mean, when you think about how few times over the last five years we've had a day like this, one hand, can you count it on one hand how many times over the last five years we've had a day like this where both the Giants and the Jets win? So you take your blessings where you can get them. A Thanksgiving miracle, a Hanukkah miracle, you might say, on the first night of Hanukkah. But that's where we are right now. The Giants, a 13-7 to win over the Eagles. I'll try to make the case why it's more than just one win to get their record to 4-7 and seven, because I've got three hours with you to spend and there's no hockey game to talk about. And then the Jets, and, and we've just obviously uh, heard about the Jets all afternoon on this station, the fifth quarter show, just having wrapped up. The Jets, a 21-14 win over the Texans. I, I don't know if I have a strong case that it's more than just a 21-14 win over an equally inept organization, but I'll try. And, and, and more importantly, I'll, I'll let you give me a chance. But we've been, we've been on the Jets for a while, so for that reason and that reason alone, we'll, we'll start with the Giants. And, and if you want to get in on the Jets, please, by all means, 1-800-919-3776 is the number. we got Jacob Perry producing the show. Uh, we're here until 9 Eastern. Happy to be on the drive. Giants win over the Eagles. Defense does a terrific job. It, it was just, look, last week, it didn't mathematically eliminate the Giants from playoff contention in the NFC. And like I said, I'm going to make a case within the next half an hour on why this win was more than just a win. But it wasn't just that last week did not mathematically eliminate the Giants from playoff contention, but it was just everything that's been wrong with the Dave Gettleman era wrapped up into one football game on national TV last week. The Giants looked inept in every way, shape, and form. And not just the Dave Gettleman era, because this goes higher than Dave Gettleman. This goes all the way up to ownership. But Gettleman is the one making the majority of the decisions. The quarterback, it was the worst version of Daniel Jones that we've seen. The offensive line couldn't protect him once again. Saquon Barkley, Gettleman's most controversial first-round draft pick was not himself last week against Tampa Bay. The defense couldn't stop anybody. It was just a confluence and a comedy of errors. And for the Giants, especially on defense, for the Giants to bounce back today against a franchise they despise. I mean, remember, last year, the Eagles franchise, and I know the guy who made that decision is no longer there in Doug Peterson, but the Eagles franchise put the Giants record last year aside. The Eagles franchise ripped the playoffs away from the Giants last year. The Giants were in position to go to the playoffs at 6-10 and 10 in Week 17 last year, and they pulled Jalen Hurts from the game, and they put in a guy who actually looked like 
Jalen Hurts did today at MetLife Stadium. And the Giants hate the Eagles. And the Giants fans hate the Eagles fans. And the Eagles had some juice. And the Eagles had some momentum coming into today's game. They've got playoff aspirations. So that means something. All of that means something. Plus, if you're the Giants, you just fired Jason Garrett. And I know the offense did not light up the scoreboard today. 13-7 to the final score. The defense was the star. But you don't want to turn around and score 13 points and lose the week after you fire your offensive coordinator. How would that look? How would that look to anybody? And the defense really came through. Putting pressure on Jalen Hurts, who looked bad, made him look bad. Three interceptions, Darnay Holmes, Tay Crowder, right at the end of the second quarter when Philadelphia was trying to get into the end zone and take a halftime lead after a first half in which the Giants outplayed them. That was a huge momentum shift at the time, especially considering the Eagles got the ball to begin the third quarter. And then Xavier McKinney later on, the Giants do recover a fumble late in the fourth quarter. Julian Love picking one up, forced by, again, Tay Crowder. And then, of course, the Giants get that one final stop when despite all of that, because the offense once again really couldn't put any points on the board, despite all of that, the four turnovers, the late turnover within the last two minutes Eagles still had a chance to win this game and the Giants defense had to come up with one final stop how was Daniel Jones's day well you know look he didn't turn the ball over and you you take your blessings where you can get them he was 19 out of 30 he threw for 202 yards he protected the ball he threw a touchdown he didn't throw any interceptions he was only sacked one time And he ran the ball well because he's a good runner. Nine rushes for 30 yards, and he took care of the football. He threw one touchdown pass. Chris Myrich, a one-yard touchdown pass. Philadelphia native, played at Temple University, undrafted kid. So a good story there. You know, Giants lose a couple of guys. Adoree Jackson goes down. Darnay Holmes goes down. Holmes had that first interception against Jalen Hurts. But all in all, it was a win for the Giants. And now they've won three of their last five games with the bye week mixed in there. And if you look at the Giants over the last six weeks of the season, if you're looking at the glass half full approach, Giants are three and two over their last five games. Their only two losses during that time are the two teams that played in the Super Bowl last season. I mean, that's as glass half full as you can get. But they're 4-7, and and I'm watching the afternoon slate of games, the 4 o'clock window, which is ongoing right now. The Packers are leading the Rams 20-17 in the third quarter. Uh, You have Denver on top of the Chargers 14-7 in the third quarter. Um, San Francisco is leading Minnesota 21-14 in the third quarter. And, you know, they show the graphic that they always do this time of year. Playoff teams, and then there's the group in the hunt. And the in the hunt group in the NFC stopped – with Washington, which plays tomorrow against Seattle, it stopped with Washington at 4-6. and six. I'm going to tell you right now, and t- call me and tell me I'm crazy. Seriously, call me and tell me I'm crazy. The Giants are in the hunt. The Giants at 4-7 and seven are in the hunt in the NFC. Now, am, am I going to lay my hard-earned money down that they're going to get into the playoffs? No, absolutely not. But in the hunt means in the hunt. It doesn't mean you were successful in your hunt. In fact, six of those teams they listed as in the hunt are going to be unsuccessful, and the Giants very well may be one of them. But right now, the Giants are in the hunt because at 4-7, and seven, they're going to end this day one game with six to go. They're going to be one game out of the final playoff spot in the NFC because seven teams make it this year. There's a 17th game 
And Minnesota and San Francisco right now are in sixth and seventh place at five and five. They're both five and five, and they're playing each other right now. And San Francisco just went on top 28 to 14. So whoever loses that game is going to be five and six with Atlanta and with New Orleans. One of those three teams will occupy the seventh and final playoff spot in the NFC, which puts them one game ahead of the New York football Giants. If you look at the Giants' schedule down the stretch, it is not what we would call overly taxing. There are some winnable games out there. Yeah, their next two games are on the road, but they're at Miami and they're at the Chargers. Maybe, maybe fans-wise, the two worst fan bases in the NFL, let's just say if you're the Giants, those are two pretty comfortable places to play if you're going to have to play on the road. You know, you're not going into Lambeau Field. You're not going into Soldier Field. You're not going into Seattle. You're not going into Kansas City. At Miami, they're all New Yorkers anyway. And then at the Chargers, and it doesn't matter every week all you hear about the Chargers hosting games at SoFi Stadium, whoever they're playing, oh, I've never seen so many Patriots fans in my life. I've never seen so many Steelers fans in my life. Well, guess what? There's a few Giants fans out in Southern California that are going to show up for that game. So those are two, as road games go, comfortable road games for the Giants. And then you play Dallas at home. Dallas has some issues right now. They're coming back to the pack. And then you go to Philadelphia. You go to Chicago. And you finish the season with Washington at home. Tell me which of those games is the hardest one. I would say Dallas at home, even though it's at home. I would say Dallas at home. And then I would say at Los Angeles to play the Chargers. Those are the two hardest games. Can you beat Miami? Yeah, they're not any good. Can you beat Philadelphia? Yeah, you just beat them today. Can you beat Chicago? Yeah, they're not any good. Can you beat Washington? Yeah, you should have beaten them already. But Dexter Lawrence was offsides on the first game-winning field goal attempt. So where does 4-2 and two get you? Well, 4-2 and two gets you to 8-9. and 4-2 and two gets you to 8-9. and nine. Down the stretch, if you go 4-2, and two, you're 4-7 and seven now, that gets you to 8-9. and nine. And at the end of this day, the final playoff team in the NFC will be 5-6. and six which, if you spin it forward, is essentially 8-9. and nine. Now, if you really want to make things interesting, Giants fans, win one of those Dallas Chargers games. Come home 5-1. and one, Get to 9-8. and eight. You're going to the playoffs. Like I said, this is going to be a glass-is-half-full segment for the Giants. But you know what? You've got to start. You've, you've got to win games. All right? You, you have to win games to even be having this conversation. And because the Giants won their game today on the strength of their defense, we are able to have this conversation. Number one, because they won. And number two, because the NFC at the five, six, or not five, at the six and seven spots are not strong. And number three, because of the aforementioned Giants schedule down the stretch. That's my, that's my case. I have presented it to you. How crazy... Do you think I am? 1-800-919-3776. Give us a call. Uh, if you didn't get in on the fifth quarter show, we'll talk Jets as well. As Zach Wilson comes back, and just like winning is important for Daniel Jones and winning is important for the Giants, it's very important for Zach Wilson. Even if his numbers don't jump off the page, even if there are still some things to work out, 
You've got to learn how to win football games. And Zach Wilson won another one today. And you know what? The Jets are 2-5 and five with Zach Wilson. They're 1-3 and three without him. All right? That's their second win with Zach. He's experienced winning twice, which is more than you could say about some other quarterbacks of recent vintage for the New York Jets. So all of that on the table. Um, we'll talk about Week 12 in the NFL, what's going on right now, what has already happened. Uh, the hot stove continues in Major League Baseball. We, we've still got signings going on this evening before the collective bargaining agreement officially expires. Some major college football news that could have ramifications for the upper echelon of that sport for the next few years we'll get into. And, and look, let's talk some Knicks because that was easily, easily their best and biggest win of the season last night in Atlanta. I mean, who saw that coming? Back here on the drive, Pat O'Keefe in for Larry Sunday night. A victorious Sunday, a winning football Sunday here in New York for both the Giants and the Jets. San Francisco and Minnesota, a good game there. Uh, 49ers, 28-20 uh, to 20 lead on the Vikings. Packers just found the end zone again against the Rams. And they're on top 27 to 17. You know, those are two of the better teams in the NFC, the Packers and the Rams. Wouldn't be shocked to see those two teams in the NFC championship game. I mean, there, there's one, and this is kind of stating the obvious. Um, there's one clear, clear difference between those two teams. It's obviously the quarterback. One team has Aaron Rodgers and one team has Matthew Stafford. You know, the Rams are probably better in, in most other areas defensively. Although the Packers' defense has been really good this year. Rams have, you know, better weapons or at least the bigger-named weapons. But the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? The Rams have Odell Beckham Jr. And I'm not disparaging anybody's personality. I'm just stating a fact. If you're somebody who is continually in a position where you are coming out on the losing end of something, you're a loser. By definition, if you have lost the vast majority of competitions in whatever endeavor you have undertaken, you're a loser. And Odell Beckham Jr. constantly finds himself on the losing end of everything. And we'll see how far down he drags the Rams. His first game wasn't very good. Doesn't look like his second game is going much better as they trail 27-17 to to the Packers. All right, let's hit the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Um, let's go to Dan in Nassau to lead things off here in the drive. Dan, it's Pat O'Keefe with you. How are you? Hey, what's going on, Pat? How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. How are you so, doing tonight? Um, I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Uh, what a night. I mean, what a weekend. What a weekend for New York sports. Uh, first of all, just you know, hats off to the Knicks last night. Awesome win. Uh, but, man, I really want to talk about gangrene our New York Jets, man. So um, uh, it's just so funny. So last night, I'm listening to this song called D-Line, right? D-Line. And I'm just thinking back, like, holy cow. Like, whoa, this is what, like, we, this is what the Jets should listen to, like, for the rest of the season. Like, this, that, that song should pretty much hype them up for the rest of the season, I'm telling you. And then, sure enough, this afternoon, they were looking like, they were looking like the D line with, you know, Muhammad Wilkinson and uh, and and Sheldon Richardson, and you know what a game for Franklin Myers, man. The the, the INT, the two sacks, whew, man. I this was, I'm just overjoyed right now. Uh, clearly, uh, but uh, man, hopefully they can, uh, uh, this can help them, you know, propel them, you know, for the next game. 
you know, got the Eagles, man. Hey, and and to quote Bart Scott, uh, you know, can't wait. <laughs> you know what? You, you you've got to build from somewhere with this Jets team. That Buffalo game, can we call that rock bottom? Two weeks ago, forty-five to seventeen. I think we can. Since then, you yeah. play a Dolphins team that look. Last week, the Dolphins came into MetLife Stadium. And they were at that point where the Giants are right now on the periphery of the hunt, but still with aspirations, a hot streak away from getting in. And they barely held off Joe Flacco and the Jets. And now you get Zach Wilson back today. And the number one important thing for the Jets is that defensive performance. And Franklin Myers was outstanding. Five sacks, eight tackles for a loss for the Jets defense as a whole. Holding Houston, a Houston team that went on the road and beat Tennessee last week. Holding them to 14 points. And then number two, you need your quarterback to just start realizing what it is to be in a winning situation. And you got those two things out of it. And Dan, you're yeah. right. I mean, look, yeah. look. Let, let, let's look at the upcoming schedule, right? Eagles, you said. Saints, they're not world beaters right now. You play the Dolphins again. You play the Jaguars. Look, the last two weeks are dicey. You play the Buccaneers, who will probably be playing for a first-round bye, and you visit Buffalo, which could be in the same situation. But your next four weeks, can we split those if we're the Jets? Can we split those four games? Let's go two and two, man. I'm telling you, let's go. Let's go two and two here. Let's let's show some grit, man. Let's show some uh, let's show some heart, you know. Uh, you know the the secondary was banged up uh, the past couple of weeks, you know. So uh, that D line really had to step up, man. You know, so that was just, man. It, it was just really good to see that. Uh, <laughs> again, I I'm almost lost for words here. You know, it was just really good to see that, man. And again, it came, I'm telling you, that song, if you guys get a chance, like, it's called D-Line by M. Shea Nash, but I heard the song, and I'm like, man, we need to, especially to start it off with the Texans, need to pretty much oppose their will with that D-Line. Definitely. <laughs> Jacob's the music, man. He'll he'll get on that, Dan. Thanks for the call. And he was reminding me of that that defensive line uh, with Muhammad Wilkerson, when, when Muhammad Wilkerson had that one fantastic year with ten and a half sacks, Calvin Pace, Quinton Copels, Sheldon Richardson, and and look, that was after the Jets had gone to back to back AFC Championship games. But even at that point, 2012, 2013, even at that point, they had some guys on their defensive line. And if you were watching the Giants game today or listening to it on the radio today, which I was doing both at certain points. And they retired Michael Strahan's jersey. And Strahan, part of his uh, halftime speech, went through the three errors. And it was interesting how he laid it out. And he's absolutely right. Strahan actually kind of did touch three distinct errors in Giants history because he came up at a time when Lawrence Taylor and Phil Simms were still playing. He was a teammate for a year with Lawrence Taylor. And then LT moved on, and the Giants weren't a playoff team for a couple of years. But Strahan continued to get better and was a Pro Bowl player. And then they get to that Super Bowl in 2000 with Strahan and Keith Hamilton and Jesse Armstead. So that was kind of era number two, the Jim Fossil era. And then they dipped back again, and then Tom Coughlin comes in. And then Strahan's final season, of course, they win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42 against the undefeated Patriots. And, and that era was obviously it's known as the Eli Manning era, but from the defensive line perspective, and they Strahan mentioned these guys, Justin Tuck, O.C. Uminyora, Michael Strahan. I mean, wow. Those are dudes on your defensive line. Matthias Kiwanuka came along. And then after that, Jason Pierre-Paul was the centerpiece of the Super Bowl 46 defense. 
it starts again. It, it's cliche, but it, it starts on the defensive line. Today was today was a really really good step for the Jets' defense. Love to see them build on that next week against the Eagles. Because guess what? All right, guess what? We just watched the Eagles today. They're not that good. Their quarterback turned the ball over three times. They turned the ball over four times. They scored seven points against the Giants' defense. Eagles not that good. Coming back to MetLife Stadium next Saturday, next Sunday, excuse me, at 1 o'clock. So let's see the Jets do it again because there's some wins out there. Eagles, Saints at home, at the Dolphins, and then Jaguars at home. You can't go 2-2 two and two there. You can't build some momentum and, and have this young quarterback continue to try to improve. And let's let him play in games that are not 45-17, to 17, that are not lopsided, that he doesn't have... The only choice being to drop back and throw it 30 times in the second half because you're down by three touchdowns. Let's let him play in that scenario for a while. And it starts on defense, and it starts with this coach, this defensive-minded head coach. 1-800-919-3776. Mike in Bayonne. What's going on, Mike? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I agree with half what you said about the uh, Giants being in the hunt. Mathematically, you are correct. I think, you know, they, they could get in there. They have a shot. But what I don't agree with is this game in Miami next week being an easy win for them. Uh, the offense, the way they played today, they're going to have to play a lot better to win, all right? And Miami right now is a hot team. They won four games in a row. So I just I don't like our chances that much winning this game next week unless the offense can improve because, like you said, the defense got – Three turnovers, three interceptions, and a, a fumble recovery. That's not going to happen every week, you know. So we got to put some points on the board. I hear you, Mike. I don't. I didn't say it was an easy win next week. It's a winnable game. It is a game that if you want to make the playoffs, you have to win. Correct. I agree with that. That is a hundred percent. But you're right. Miami's got this four-game winning streak. It, it's kind of an odd winning streak, Mike. And thanks for the call. Uh, it started against the Texans, as many winning streaks do. And then they had that really bizarre, uh, impressive performance against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens on that Thursday night. And then, as I said, they had their hands full with the Jets and Joe Flacco last week. They couldn't shake them. They couldn't run up the score on them. They ended up winning 24-17. to And today, a really nice performance against the Panthers team that I don't know where this Panthers team is going. I mean, it's a Panthers team you know, that, that signed Cam Newton. And they... Already blew through Sam Darnold, proving the Jets were absolutely right in moving on from Sam Darnold. Cam Newton today was 5 out of 21. 5 for 21. I mean, Cam Newton, my God. His first game back, he touches the ball for the first time. He gets it at the one-yard line. All right, This is after he was abysmal in New England. His first game back against the Cardinals two weeks ago, they give him the ball at the one-yard line. Cam Newton's a big dude. He's been running the ball in from one yard his entire life. And he did again. And he does the whole Superman thing. And right off the bat, he gets a personal foul. Excessive celebration penalty. Welcome back. It's good to have you back, Cam. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next week, they're in a dogfight against Washington in a huge swing game in terms of the playoffs. And Carolina had the momentum in that game early. And then Cam Newton scores a touchdown. And he runs to midfield like he's Terrell Owens and puts the football in the middle of the logo and does the stupid Superman thing again. And he gets another personal foul penalty for 15 years. Can you concentrate on winning a football game? How many Superman excessive celebration penalties was he called for today when he completed 5 out of 21 passes for 92 yards and threw two interceptions? I mean, come on, it's over. 
Stop doing the Superman thing. You're not Superman. You had a great, great season six years ago. You were the league MVP. You should have been the league MVP. You took your team to the Super Bowl. That was six years ago. All right? It's over. And try to think about winning these games. All right? Don't worry about telling everybody you're back. We know where you are. We know where to find you. We'll find you on the bench behind P.J. Walker because you completed five out of 21 passes today in a 33-10 loss to the Dolphins. Dolphins are trying to get back into this playoff hunt, so that's going to be a big game. That's a loser-leaves-town game next week. Giants and Dolphins. I know. I, de- I did not say it's an easy win for the Giants. But if you stack up the Giants' remaining schedule, and what I said was Miami is a comfortable place to play a road game. Why? Because they don't have fans that come out in any sport. The Heat fans are terrible. The Marlins fans are non-existent. The Miami Dolphins fans... Half of the people living down there are from up here in New York. There's going to be Giants fans all over that place next week. I didn't say it was an easy win. I said as far as road games go, it's a comfortable road game for a New York football team. Unlike Lambeau Field. Unlike Soldier Field. You know? Unlike Kansas City, Arrowhead. Those are not comfortable. You don't walk in there and, and feel comfortable. You don't walk into Seattle for a night game and feel comfortable with that fan base. 1-800-919-3776. Jeff in the car. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, how you doing? Good evening. Happy late Thanksgiving, man. You too. Thank you, Jeff. What's going on? Hey, I'm a a Dolphin fan. I'll start that saying that right out of the gate. That's allowed. I know what the narrative narrative is going to be on New York Sports Talk Radio. The Giants are going to go down to Miami and win this game. I I was at the Giant game today. I was at the Dolphin game last week with the Jets. I don't see anything from this Giant team that would that would lead me to believe they're going to walk into Miami with this team and beat Miami. Whoever these Giant fans are, I think they're going to, just because of maybe the way Miami might have looked earlier in the year, this is a completely different team than what they were. A completely different healthy Tua, and the defense is so much better than what they were. Uh, I Like I said, I hope the narrative this week isn't this is going to be a, a walk in the park for the Giants down in Miami next week because I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be either, Jeff. I, I think people need to distinguish uh, between saying it's going to be a walk in the park and saying it's going to be a winnable game. If I list the Giants' remaining games at Miami, at the Chargers, and against Dallas, let's just say those next three games, which is the most likely they're going to win? I think they'll definitely beat the Eagles again. Let's just take these three. Hold on, hold on. Jeff, let's take these three. Let's just do the next three. At Miami, at the Chargers, and against Dallas. Which is, if you're you're looking at this objectively, what do you think is the most likely game the Giants win? From the way the teams are playing right now, most likely the Chargers. Okay. And, and and you could be right. It's close. It's the Chargers. I would. I personally say it's Miami. I understand you're a Dolphins fan, and and they've won four games in a row, and they are playing better. But yeah, you said Tua's healthy. But what's a healthy Tua? Have we seen Tua, first of all, stay healthy for an extended period of time, and have we seen him excel for an extended period of time yet in his young career? I mean, he. I mean, he played well, very well today. He did twenty seven. Well twenty seven out of thirty one. You can't argue with that. Didn't throw any interceptions. Right. Uh, you know, d- not throwing the ball downfield, but.
But look, Brian Flores, they, he didn't need to, first of all. They win 33-10 to against a, a pitiful team. Brian Flores is also a conservative coach, so the game plan isn't going to be for Tua to throw it all over the yard. Well, I would love to see them open it up with Waddle the way they did when they were together in Alabama. I think that would be a great dimension for this offense. And it could, and it could happen, hopefully sooner than later. But, again, I agree with you there. I would love – I mean, Waddle had a great game today, too. I think he had 137 on nine catches and a touchdown himself. That's – I mean, that's what we need. I'd like to see Gazeki wasn't much of a factor today, and I think, you know, most times he'll he'll be a factor too. So, Jeff, you're entitled to be excited about the Dolphins, and thanks for the call. They had an awful start to the season, and now they themselves are in playoff contention, and you can only beat the teams that are on your schedule. And Carolina came in today 5-6, and six, occupying a playoff spot in the NFC. Here, You know what the problem is, unfortunately? And I knew this was going to happen. Um, it does open it up for more teams to be involved. But if you talk NBA right now, oh, they got a chance for a play-in tournament spot. Oh, they got a chance for a playoff spot. So many more teams are alive to play beyond the regular season now because of the expanded playoff format. And that's exactly what you're ha- happening, what's happening in the NFL right now. That's exactly what you're seeing. I mean, let's look at the NFC right now because I'm sitting here, and I, I think I'm right because it's the point that I'm making. I'm sitting here saying that the Giants are still in the hunt for a playoff position in the NFC because they are. They're a game out. Who's out of contention? The Lions are out. Uh, the Jaguars are out. The Texans are out. The Jets are out. There's four teams that are out. I mean, even the Seahawks. They're three and seven, but if they win tomorrow, they're four and seven. And I know their team's a mess right now, but they still got Russell Wilson as their quarterback. So I'm not even willing to rule them out right now. So we got 32 teams in the NFL, and I'm willing to sit here right now and say there are four of them that have no realistic shot of contending for the postseason. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Well, it's Pat O'Keefe in for Larry. We were supposed to be in the middle of a Rangers-Islanders hockey broadcast right now from Madison Square Garden. Except the Islanders continued COVID-19 outbreak within their team forced the postponement of that game. It's a postponement that if you're the Islanders and you're seeing what was really a promising season with a lot of expectations considering what they did the last two seasons plus the new arena and all the excitement surrounding that, it's a postponement that if you're an Islanders fan or an Islander probably came about a week too late because they have been decimated by COVID-related absences anyway and they have plummeted to the bottom of the standings. And now, on top of everything, they're going to have to make games up once they get healthy again as the season progresses. So the Islanders have been dug a very, very deep hole coming off back-to-back trips to the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's going to be very difficult to get out of that. But we're talking about the day in the NFL, a rare daily double for the Giants and the Jets on this NFL Sunday, both posting wins in the 1 o'clock hour. Jets 21-14 to over the Texans. Giants 13-7 to over the Eagles. Pat O'Keefe here, 1-800-919-3776. Talked about how important a game this was for Philadelphia. Now think about it. They demolished New Orleans last week, and they get to 5-6 and six coming into today 
against the Giants team that just fired its offensive coordinator, that is languishing at 3-7, and seven, that is coming off of its worst performance of what has been a bad season so far. I mean, it was all lined up for the Eagles today. And this is according to the folks at ESPN Stats and Info. If the Eagles won today, their chances of reaching the playoffs would have been 56%. So they would have had a better than 50-50 chance of reaching the playoffs. And think about what the expectations were for the Eagles at the beginning of the season. I mean, they are in total rebuild mode. Their salary cap is nowhere near the limit. They have potentially two top 10 draft picks next year, three potentially in the top 15. In every way, shape, and form, the Eagles are in rebuilding mode. And all they had to do today was beat the Giants, and their chances of reaching the playoffs would have gone up to 56%. Instead, with the loss, their chances of reaching the postseason are now 26%. How bad was Jalen Hurts today, and how rare was his performance for an Eagles quarterback against the Giants? Well, today Jalen Hurts, with no touchdowns and three interceptions, was the first Eagles QB to do that against the Giants since Randall Cunningham back in 1990. So you got to go back more than 30 years since that last happened for an Eagles quarterback against the Giants. The Giants' defense was dominant. They intercept Hurts three times. Giants now have an interception in eight straight games. And they also shut the Eagles out in the first half. Last time they shut out an opponent in the first half, December 9th, 2018, against Washington. Last time the Giants accomplished that. Now, what differences did we see on the offense? Well, you didn't see a lot of points. You saw 13 points, and that's not much difference. The difference is you took care of the football, and your defense was dominant to the point where 13 points were enough to win the game. Daniel Jones, in the first quarter, rushed the ball five times. Five design rushes for Daniel Jones in the first quarter. Is that is that too high? It's a little too high. I like the idea of getting Daniel Jones out and designing some rushes for him. He's excellent at it. He is, and when you have an offensive line that is challenged and compromised and whatever adjective you want to attach to it, the Giants' offensive line is that, then you've got, if you have a mobile quarterback, to get him out, get him moving, and soften up the defense. And I thought Freddie Kitchens doing that in the first quarter set a really good tone for this game. Jones ends up carrying the ball nine times for 30 yards. Saquon Barkley, you know, it continues to be a mixed bag. He's clearly, clearly not back to being healthy yet, and who knows if he ever will be. He rushes the ball 13 times for 40 yards, but he had one 32-yard run that reminded you of what this guy can be. I mean, the, the biggest shame of this season is the Giants' first win against New Orleans back in Week 4. That was as close as we've seen Saquon Barkley to being Saquon Barkley since his rookie season, or at least since before Daniel Jones's first game when Barkley injured himself against Tampa Bay. That New Orleans game was as close as we've seen to Barkley getting back to that level. And then what happened the next week? Jones throws a pass out of his reach. Barkley lands awkwardly on the defensive player's foot, sprains his ankle badly, misses a month. He's back now two weeks. Great sign that he can bust out a 32-yard run. But he didn't do much on top of that. You just hope you see improvement from this guy every week. That's where we are with the Giants. 1-800-919-3776. Let's open the phone lines back up. Let's go to Will in New Jersey. How's it going, Will? 
Pat. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, I, you know, I, agree, I, I agree with you, I mean, with the Barkley thing, but I just, I just don't think it's fair to compare him to the other back. I, I think that the other back is not knocking the doors down. He's not knocking it out the box. I don't see what the comparison is. Uh, he's not like he's running 100-yard game, having 100-yard games or anything like that. And the fact is, you just mentioned it yourself. Barkley is working his way through injury. He's working his way out of it. You know, this guy is, you know, you're right. He's, had, he's hesitant. You can see it. I think he's afraid. And, um, you know, he's just, you know, it's just that, you know, um, mental thing. And he's got he's to get over that. He's got to get through that, get himself back. I mean, this guy was the rookie of the year, you know, his first year. He led the league in, you know, yards from the scrimmage. I mean, he's not a fluke. So, I mean, you know, I know he shouldn't have been picked second, but it is what it is. It's who we have. And, you know, I think, you know, you know, I just don't think it's a fair comparison to compare him to, the, to our other back. Are you talking uh, about Booker? Are you, are you talking about comparing him to Devontae Booker? Booker. Oh, you, yeah. well, who's comparing him to Booker? Well, on the last call, you're saying, well, why is Booker, you know, doing this and, and uh, Saquon's not? You know, because Saquon is just coming back from injury, and, and, he, and, and he, uh, naturally he has – I mean, he's not saying – not, not going to tell anybody, but I know he's, a, he's trying to he's, – he's, he, you, know, you know, he's very hesitant, and you can see it. You said it yourself. And, um, you know, I just think he has to get more confidence as, as you know, he – he uh, goes forward. So I agree, Will. I know I agree, and, and thanks for the call. I, I don't think it does anybody any good comparing Saquon Barkley to Booker. Booker's done a really nice job filling in for Saquon. I think he's done a really good job holding the fort. He was excellent in the Raiders win a couple of weeks ago at MetLife Stadium, but he he doesn't have the skill set that Saquon Barkley does, and that's the shame of it. Very few people do. Look. When I say and when other people say that they shouldn't have taken him with the number two pick, that's just a, a philosophical thing. That's a value thing. Running backs in this day and age in the NFL, that's not great value, picking somebody at that position second overall in the draft. has nothing to do with his talent. I said it at the time, and what do I know? Because at the time, I was sitting here on this station day after day after day screaming that they should pick Sam Darnold. Well, Sam Darnold has now already flamed out with two organizations. He's done. Sam Darnold is going to be a career backup. I'll be shocked if he's anything more than that right now. But philosophically, when you looked at that quarterback draft, it was very deep at that position. And I thought at the time it was time for the Giants to start their transition from Eli Manning. Obviously, Dave Gettleman felt differently. He was so enamored by Saquon Barkley's ability that he picked him number two. And his ability as we saw, his rookie season was unbelievable. I mean, by the end of his rookie season, he was the most dynamic offensive player in the NFL. No joke. No joke. Go back to that following summer after his rookie season and think about your fantasy football drafts. He was the number one pick in every fantasy football draft after one year in the league. That means something. It was him or it was Christian McCaffrey. I mean, think about it this year. Was anybody drafting Saquon Barkley number one overall in a fantasy football draft? No, because he's not that player. And I'm afraid I'm afraid he won't be again. He could be. When you see things like the 32-yard run today, you're, you're, you're given hope that he could be. That New Orleans game in week four was Saquon Barkley. He put that team on his back. The long pass from Daniel Jones where he got into the end zone to get the Giants back into the game after they were trailing big in the second half. 
And then what he did in overtime, dragging defenders across the goal line with him, that was Saquon Barkley. And then the next week, a week later in the first half, he comes down hard on an opponent's ankle, sprains it badly. He's gone for a month. So now let's just look at the last two seasons in this guy's career. Let's look at the last three seasons. He has the ankle injury year two against Tampa Bay. Now he missed about a month there, came back and played pretty well down the stretch of his second season. Last year, week two in Chicago, ACL done after a really, really rough week one against Pittsburgh where they were focusing on him and him alone. And then this year, working his way back slowly but surely those first three weeks from the ACL injury in the lineup, which was a good sign. And then week four, boom, Saquon's back. And then week five, he sprains his ankle. He's gone for a month, and now he's got to start over again. It's a shame because the Giants' success or their potential success is predicated on Saquon Barkley. Let's go to Buddha in the Bronx. Buddha, how you doing tonight? Hey, Pat, what's going on, kid? How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, the Jets won. There's a couple of takeaways I got from the game. Of, obviously, with a win, you're very happy. At least to the Jets, you know, they go one game above where they were last year, even though it really pretty much counts as a half a game. Um, two, thing, two or three things I noticed, though. Um, with closer Caesar Salah, listen, I'm glad that they won, but – you know, the Jets are the kind of team that can really do a lot to a man. They can do a lot to a fan. And they can do a lot to a coach. You know, Robert Sala looked so much more, like, like thorough and strong when he was over there in San Francisco. I'm looking at him on the sidelines of these games, man. He looks pale. He looks a little smaller than he used to. And, and there was a little bit too much celebration for a win against the Houston Texans for my liking. But I understand where it comes from. And um, lastly, with, with Mr. Wilson, and I don't want to cast any aspersions. I'm a nice kid. I, I'm, I, you know, I can see if the Jets got the number one pick. I, I really thought if they did last year, Trevor Lawrence would have been the kind of player that said, look, I'm not coming to this team. So I give um, Zach Wilson a feather in his cap for that. But as a fan and as a person who's watched football for a long time, I have a lot of trepidation about whether in two or three years he's really going to truly be the answer for us at quarterback because forget about him missing the passes to the backs and the flat and things like that. He just looks really small to me, and he looks like the kind of guy that that's body is not going to be able to hold up, you know, in this rough man's league. He looks like a young kid, man. And I feel for him because it's just a bad organization to get drafted to. I do. I don't blame him in any way. But I don't know if this city is going to have the patience for him and more specifically for the coaching staff, for him to, like, kind of pull himself out of this, man. What do you think, Pat? I agree with some of what you say, Buddha, And I know you watch this closely, and thanks for the call. Zach does look small, you know, but that doesn't necessarily become a bad thing. Now, Kyler Murray looks small to me on the field, too, all right? Kyler Murray is one of the most dangerous players in the NFL. I mean, until he got hurt, he might have been the league MVP this season. But he got hurt, and he got hurt last year. So, to your point, Buddha, 
with the size thing comes the increased risk of injury. Now, Kyler Murray makes it work for himself when he's playing well. I don't think you can judge Zach on anything this year. I really don't. I've seen flashes from him. Today was his first game back after missing a month, so let's throw today out. All right? He missed a month before that. He gets his feet wet today. It was a perfect game to bring him back into. Okay? Texans are probably worse than the Jets are, and they proved that today by losing to the Jets. All right? Um, let's, let's see Zach now during this next stretch when the Jets aren't playing a murderer's row schedule the next several weeks. This next four-game stretch is incredibly important for Zach Wilson when they have the Eagles and the Saints and the Dolphins and the Jaguars the last four games in December. It's very important for him, all right? The players around him are not, they're not good. I mean, they are not good that you can judge him on what he has done so far this year. You know, look at the situation that Mac Jones is in and look at the situation that Zach Wilson is in. Now, am I saying that if Zach Wilson was the coach, uh, the quarterback of the Patriots, he'd be doing the exact same thing? I'm not. I think Mac Jones has done an excellent job, but I think Zach Wilson would look a lot better if he was in that Patriot system with that line and that coaching staff and that defense instead of the one he's in now. So it's not just on Zach Wilson. It's on Robert Sala to develop not only him, but the guys around him, and it's on Joe Douglas to continue to try to surround him with talent. Now, Joe Douglas did well in the draft this year. Elijah Vera Tucker's good. Their second first-round draft pick. Michael Carter, that running back in the fourth round before he got injured, he's good. Elijah Moore, we need to see more consistency. But that wide receiver in the second round, he's a starting wide receiver in the NFL which brings us to Zach. But those three guys aren't enough to prop up your quarterback in a tough situation like this. He needs more around him, and he needs to do more himself. We'll continue with the calls, 1-800-919-3776, Jets, Giants. We'll get to the Knicks in a little bit as well and go around the NFL on this Week 12. Pat O'Keefe in for Larry Hardesty on the drive on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Such a fun show to do. Very happy to be uh, sitting in for Larry Hardesty on this Sunday. It's Pat O'Keefe. We're supposed to be here hosting coverage of the Rangers-Islanders game from Madison Square Garden. That would be in the third period right now, if my calculations are correct. Unfortunately, that game postponed because of the Islanders' COVID outbreak. So, uh, the Red Hot Rangers, that's really the only thing that can slow them down right now. What a performance for them on Black Friday and their matinee in Boston against the Bruins. Rangers are off to just a fantastic start, uh, but still plenty to talk about. It. And as I mentioned, a really fun show that Larry does a great job with each and every Sunday night. Uh, let's take a quick look around Week 12. Everything but the Sunday night and the Monday night game has now been complete. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the Giants, their 13-7 to win over the Eagles Giants now 4-7, and seven, Eagles 5-7, and seven, four turnovers, including three interceptions for Jalen Hurts. Uh, Daniel Jones took care of the football, threw one touchdown pass to Chris Majarczyk, his not only first career touchdown, but his first career catch, a one-yarder in the Giants' 13-7 to seven win. Jets' defense was dominant. 
shutting out the Texans in the second half, a 21-14 win for the Jets. Tevin Coleman runs for 67 yards on the offensive side of the ball. Zach Wilson back 14 out of 24 with an interception. Uh, he did run for a touchdown. Jets are now 2-5 and five with Wilson as the quarterback, 1-3 and three without him. Of course, that one win was the Mike White game against the Cincinnati Bengals. So the Jets are 3-8. and eight. The Texans are 2-9. and nine. Speaking of the Cincinnati Bengals, it's been an up-and-down season for them. The Mike White game, we thought, on Halloween sent them into a tailspin, but they have recovered the last couple of weeks, and they recovered in a big way today, 41-10 to 10 over the Steelers. Joe Mixon runs wild in that game, 28 carries, 165 yards, and two touchdowns. Bengals are now three games above 500 at seven and four, while the Steelers, who about three weeks ago, before Ben Roethlisberger got COVID, the Steelers were one of the surprising teams in the AFC. They've come back to earth. They're now five, five, and one. Remember that ugly tie that they had against the Detroit Lions. Buccaneers trailed the Colts 24 to 14 at halftime. They storm back in the second half and they win on a touchdown run. Just a tough hard-nosed touchdown run from about 20 yards out by Leonard Fournette with 20 seconds in the game. The Bucks were driving for a potential game-winning field goal. Instead, Fournette ended it with the touchdown run, his fourth touchdown of the day, three of them on the ground, 17 carries for 100 yards for uh, Leonard Fournette. Rob Gronkowski back in action, seven catches for 123 yards. The Bucks are 8-3, and three, and in the NFC playoff standings right now, Tampa Bay is in third place. You have Arizona at 9-2. and two. You have Green Bay at 9-3 and three after their win over the Rams, and Tampa Bay in third place right now at 8-3, and three, about two-thirds of the way through the season. The Dolphins beat up on the Panthers. It's a bad Panthers team. Cam Newton completed five out of 21 passes in the loss. He's certainly not the answer. Sam Darnold wasn't the answer in Carolina. Panthers actually started the day in possession of the final playoff spot in the NFC. They're now 5-7. and seven. They're still in the hunt. Dolphins were 1-7. and seven. They've won four in a row. They're now 5-7. and seven. And the Alabama boys, this is some connection that's starting to heat up. Tua Tungavailoa, 27 out of 31 for 230 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown thrown to his former Alabama teammate, Jalen Waddell, who had nine catches for 137 yards in the win. Dolphins will host the Giants next week down in Miami. The Patriots continue to roll along. They would now be, if the season ended today, the number two seed in the AFC. They are closing in on the number one spot and the first round bye that would accompany it. How about if New England and Tampa Bay each finished first in their respective conferences. It could happen. Patriots beat up on the Titans 36-13. to Both teams are now 8-4. and That means New England would have the tiebreaker if they finish the season in a tie. Mac Jones continues to get better each and every week playing in that New England system. Boy, Zach Wilson must be jealous. Mac Jones, 23 out of 32, 310 yards and two touchdowns. The Falcons are still in the hunt. Why not if he gets to play the Jacksonville Jaguars? A 21-14 win. Atlanta might be the ugliest 5 and 6 team I've ever seen in my entire life, but they're 5 and 6 right now and they could actually end the day 
in the final playoff spot in the NFC, depending on the tiebreakers. Corderell Patterson with 16 carries for 108 yards and two touchdowns. Jags are now 2-9. and nine. Atlanta, as mentioned, is 5-6. and six. Broncos are hanging in there. A big win for them over the Chargers, who are slip, slip, slip sliding away. Good numbers for Justin Herbert. 28 out of 44 for 303 yards and two touchdowns. But the Chargers and Broncos, both 6-5 and five now on the season in the very crowded AFC standings. We'll bring you those in just a moment. You tell me the Giants can't go out to Los Angeles and beat this Chargers team in two weeks? I'm telling you, there are opportunities for wins on the Giants schedule the next handful of weeks. Packers beat the Rams 36-28. Odell Beckham Jr. scores a 54-yard touchdown when the game was pretty much out of reach. Standard fare for him. Green Bay is now 9-3. They're 5-0 at Lambeau Field. The Rams fall to 7-4. They haven't won a game since they decided to bring Odell Beckham Jr. into their organization. The 49ers, the 34-26 win over the Vikings. So San Francisco is now 6-5, and five, and they're starting to peak at the right time of the season. Vikings could not back up the momentum from their huge win at home over the Packers last season. So let's take a look at the playoff standings right now. This is up to the minute in the AFC. Baltimore is 7-3, and three, and they play tonight against Cleveland. So by the end of the night, New England could be the number one seed in the AFC. Unbelievable. Baltimore's got that spot right now at 7-3. and three. New England and Tennessee are both 8-4, and four, but New England has the tiebreaker by virtue of their win today. Kansas City is 7-4. and four. So are the Bengals. So are the Bills. Kansas City would be the number four team because they're the division leader in the AFC West. But you have the Bengals in the first wild card spot at 7-4. and four. You have the Bills in the second wild card spot at 7-4. and four, And the Chargers are still in that final playoff spot at 6-5. and five. The Raiders are 6-5. and five. The Browns are 6-5 and five and playing tonight. The Broncos are 6-5. and five. So from 7th place all the way down through 10th place, identical 6-5 and five records. But again, that's pending the result of the Cleveland-Baltimore game later tonight. Indianapolis is very much in the mix at 6-6. Six and six. Pittsburgh very much in the mix at 5-5-1. Five, five and one. And the Dolphins have gotten themselves back in the mix at 5-7. and seven. With that 5-7 and seven record, Miami is just one game out of the final playoff spot in the AFC. Over in the NFC, Arizona with a bye today is 9-2 and two and sitting in first place, a half game ahead of Green Bay, which is 9-3. and three. And then you have the Buccaneers at 8-3 and three in third. And the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys all of a sudden have fallen to 7-4, and four, but they're still ahead of everyone in their division by a country mile. So they have the fourth spot right now. Rams are in the fifth position at 7-4. and four. The 49ers at 6-5 and five are sixth. And the Vikings still, by virtue of the tiebreaker, hold that seventh spot with their 5-6 and six record. They're 5-6. and six. You're telling me the Giants at 4-7 and seven aren't in the hunt? Another tangent, I know. In the hunt, after the Vikings, Falcons 5-6, and six, Saints 5-6, and six, Eagles 5-7, Panthers 5-7, Washington, which plays tomorrow night against Seattle, Washington is 4-6, and six, and then you have the Giants, the Bears, both at 4-7, and seven, and Seattle at 3-7. and seven. I'll tell you right now, I am only willing to count out one team in the NFC and saying that there is no way they're going to make the playoffs. That team, of course is the Detroit Lions. In the AFC, I'm willing to count out the Jaguars. I'm willing to count out the Texans. And despite an impressive defensive performance today, 
at three and eight, I am willing, ready, and able to count out the New York Jets. But the Jets shut the Houston Texans out in the second half and route to their 21-14 win, their third victory of the season. They're three and eight. The defense uh, sacks Tyrod Taylor five times, eight tackles for a loss, an interception by John Franklin Myers. Here's Robert Sala, known defensive mastermind on his team's defensive performance. Even in that first half, thought we were playing very well. There was two third downs that I know we all want back, especially third and longs. The zero that uh, resulted in the touchdown and then the goal ball. But aside from those two plays, I thought the guys showed a lot of resilience. I thought there was a sudden change out there in the second half where uh, we knocked them out of field goal range. I thought they were fantastic. I thought Albrecht and his staff did great. I thought the players, again, they're getting better. And uh, I thought this was a good one. John Franklin Myers with two sacks and an interception, the star of the defensive effort, Quinn and Williams. Quincy Williams each with a sack, Ronald Blair with one as well. But here's Franklin Myers on his interception. I tried to score again. I really did. I tried to score, but shoot, man. I had I had to be smart there. You know, I think everybody wants to score a touchdown, but it's more important to have uh, the ball, you know, the possession. So as we all want to score a touchdown, you know, I was like, let me get out of bounds. You know, I don't want to risk fumbling. I don't want to risk, you know, nothing. So, I mean, it is what it is. I'll have another opportunity. Defense carried the day for the Jets, but you also want to see progression and improvement on offense. They had to play without Michael Carter today. That wasn't easy for Zach Wilson, who was back under center for the first time in a month. What did Robert Sala think of Wilson's day? He was fine. Obviously, there's a little rust there after a month, but I thought he managed the game well. You know, I thought, again, the offense was, was running the heck out of the football, and he was doing a good job on third down, so it was just a good day of managing the game. Wilson's numbers aren't going to knock anybody's socks off. 14 out of 24 with an interception. He did run for a touchdown, struggling some with his throws, especially his short throws. And here's Robert Sala on that. He throws those little rockets. Uh, <laughs> so he'll figure all that stuff out. But I, I thought, you know, for the most part, you know, we get that turnover to start the game. Offense gets down there. We're able to get a field goal out of it. And then we kind of hit a lull. Uh, there were there was a lot of three and outs and defense battling gave up a couple of touchdowns but that drive before the half was huge I thought they did a great job they worked all the way down the field score that touchdown we get a chance to lap them which we did which is big but in that second half just the again he, he made the plays he needed to make and the offensive line did a great job opening up seams for our running backs and gather I think we we're averaging over four and a half a clip so it was, it was a really good day offensively Another downside to Zach Wilson's day. He took four sacks, totaling 36 yards in lost yardage. How about his thoughts on throwing it too hard and looking for some more touch on those short throws? Yeah, I mean, my mentality in those is, is to rip the ball, and that's why. You know, I'm, I'm not playing timid, and, and that's why some of those are probably coming in fast because I'm telling myself just to rip it, you know, play free and, and let it go. And, yeah, i got to adjust, and, you know, I will. I'm going to work on that with those guys. But, but that's why, you know, some of them came in like that is I'm trying just to play fast. Overall, a win is a win, especially for a franchise that hasn't done a lot of it over the last decade. Second career win for Zach Wilson. He beat Tennessee in overtime, and now he beats Houston. The Jets are 2-5 and five with Wilson as their starting quarterback. So how good does it feel for him to win? Yeah, really good. You know, really good, especially just because, you know, I wasn't happy with how, you know, I performed just the ups and downs of it all. You know, I got to just keep going, and, you know, it's all part of the process. You know, we're going to keep getting better, but it feels really good to, to, to go home having a win. You know, you know, ultimately that, that's the goal is to, is to win the game. And so Defense was great, and so was the rushing game. The Jets carried the ball 34 times for 157 yards and scored two touchdowns, one of them by Zach Wilson. Tevin Coleman ran it 16 times for 67 yards. Ty Johnson, six carries for 42. And Austin Walter, nine carries, 38 yards, and... He spoke about his first career touchdown. 
It's, it's been a lot of emotions that I've been feeling. Um, I'm from Houston. I went to Rice University. I went to Crosby High School. So this was a homecoming for me. I got to see a lot of family members here. Some people that I weren't even expecting to see that you know worked in the stadium. You know, just being here my whole life, it meant a lot for this to be the place to get my first career touchdown. Um, I know my dad's in heaven smiling down on me. So it's a lot of emotions, but they're bittersweet emotions. Really nice thoughts from Austin Walter. A big day in his career, a big day in his life, and to be able to do that in his hometown, it's special. And he does it in a Jets win, 21-14, to as they improve to 3-8. and Houston falls to 2-9. and Minute 12 to go in the third. Nick's with the ball up six. Randall against Collins, a spin. Out for Burks, left wing three. Another one! Alec Burks with four threes and three in the third. He's got 23, Nick's up 83-74. You know things are going well when you get an another one from Ed Cohen. That was last night in Atlanta. I wasn't going to let three hours go by tonight without talking about the Knickerbockers coming off their most impressive and best win of the season so far. I know it's a football Sunday and we've done plenty on that and we can continue to do so if you wish. 1-800-919-3776. But let me just touch on the events of last night. I actually wasn't on the broadcast as the Knicks were taking on the Hawks. Dan Grasso doing a great job hosting our studio coverage. When you look at what happened the night before on Friday night at the Garden against the Phoenix Suns when the Knicks were completely outclassed and then you take Kemba Walker out second night of a back-to-back. Derrick Rose still isn't back. Nerlens Noel has just not been able to get 100% healthy so far this season. He started the season injured. He came back for a couple games, went out again, came back, And now he's out again. We don't know for how long. Taj Gibson remains out. So that is four rotation players, including basically all of your point guards. You take the floor last night against the Atlanta Hawks, who are led by, if I'm not mistaken, a pretty good point guard in Trey Young, and you're going after them with no point guards. And to come out with a 99-90 to victory, the defensive effort, the shot-making, Alec Burks leading the way in that department. Add in the fact that Julius Randle scores eight points last night. Randle didn't have it going offensively. He was three for 14 in the game. But huge performances from Burks, from Fournier. A nice bounce back for R.J. Barrett. He's fighting it. He's playing hard. He's hitting the boards. R.J.'s doing other things. His shot and his scoring is not there. There's not a harder worker on the team than R.J. Barrett. He's going to figure it out. He's struggling right now. They needed him last night, and he came through. And what you love, what you absolutely love, the bench unit last night. I mean, it's an homage to recent drafts of the Knicks. Jericho Sims, 21 minutes, 6 points, a plus 14 off the bench with 6 rebounds and 2 block shots. Obi Toppin, 16 minutes, a plus 7. 13 points, two rebounds, and two assists. A couple highlight-worthy dunks as well. Emmanuel quickly, 31 points off the bench. Nine points, seven assists for quickly. He was a plus nine. And Quinton Grimes, a plus eight in 15 minutes with three points. Look, the Knicks are, as we're finding out now, 20 games into the season, this is not the same Knicks team As last year, I think a lot of people looked at this Knicks roster and you saw the offensive upgrades at point guard from Alfred Payton to Kemba Walker. 
at two guard from Reggie Bullock to Evan Fournier. And you said to yourself, yeah, last year was great, 41 and 31. We got better. We can find more ways to score, so we should be better. But I think what we have found out is that's not exactly the case. That's not how it's playing out, which is why a night like last night is so huge because it's in there, all right? The Knicks just have to find the right rotation, the right combination. It's in there, but it's not as simple as it was last year. I mean, think of how well last year went. Tom Thibodeau had a starting five. He had Peyton and Bullock and Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. In the first half of the season, it was Mitchell Robinson. And then when Robinson went down, it was Nerlens Noel. And then he had a bench five. He had Burks. He had Emmanuel Quickly. Once they traded for Derrick Rose, he was part of that. He had Obi Toppin. And then he had his backup center. At first, it was Noel. And then after Noel moved into the starting lineup, it became Taj Gibson. And that was it. Five starters, five bench players, 10-man rotation. And for the most part, that was it. And it worked last season. But I think what you're finding is you have other guys now that are part of the mix that bring skill sets and that need to, if they continue to perform, need to see the court more often. Obi Toppin, 13 points in 16 minutes and a plus seven when he's out there, if he continues to produce at that level, he's going to need to see the court more often. Quentin Grimes, he's not afraid. He's not afraid to throw it up there. We know that. If we watched him his last two games, he gets the ball. If he's open, he's shooting it. All right, the shot will come. He was a scorer in college, a volume scorer, but he was a scorer in college. He's also tough. He can also defend. And what Derrick Rose's absence has done now, quickly, shot was already starting to come around, all right? But what Derek Rose's absence has done for Quickly's confidence, Quickly, along with Alec Burks, now sees himself temporarily while Rose is out, Quickly kind of sees himself as the leader of that bench unit. He's comporting himself as such when he's out there on the floor, and he's not just out there looking for his shot or looking for his floater. He's making a conscious effort to playmake, to get his teammates involved. And seven assists, along with nine points in 31 minutes last night, is an excellent sign for Emmanuel quickly. So I, I would l be interested to see, and I will be interested to see, as Rose comes back, you expect Kemba Walker to be back for the next game because it won't be on a back-to-back. -back. When Nerlens Noel re-enters the rotation once again, uh, it'll be interesting to see how or if Tom Thibodeau tweaks the rotation a little bit, commensurate with how teams have played. Because I got to tell you, last night's win, considering the way they were blown out and outclassed in the garden the night before by the Phoenix Suns, last night's win was incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Nick in Queens. Nick, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Um... There's a rumor out that the Knicks is trying to get Ben Simmons for Randall and Kemba Walker and some draft picks. Did you hear anything with, about that? Is Ben Simmons good, could help the Knicks? He can't shoot to save his life. But would it be a good trade? I don't think it would be. Um, I, I, I don't. If, if I'm the Knicks right now, Nick, and thanks for the call, I, I, I don't want any part of Ben Simmons right now. Not at that price. Not for Julius Randall and Kemba Walker and draft picks on top of it. I mean, teams in the 76ers, that is, and Ben Simmons' uh, management group, Clutch, they've got to be realistic about what his value is right now. I mean, 
I've never seen a player or a management team, and let's not absolve the 76ers of blame here. They're part of this as well. I've never seen a group of people take such a valuable commodity and just devalue it so severely with bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I mean, let, let, let's go back over the last 12 months for Ben Simmons. I mean, what was he 12 months ago? He was a 24-year-old, multiple-time All-Star, one of the best defensive players in the NBA, arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA 12 months ago, whose offensive game was getting better, okay? He was also a guy who, from the time he came into the league until year number four last year, never seemed to put in the time or the effort to improve his greatest efficiency, which was offense. Now, he was improving because he's a physical specimen. He's six foot nine. He's got great vision. He's a terrific passer. He can handle the basketball. So just by nature, he was improving. But the one area where he wasn't improving was his shot. In fact, he was regressing in that area to the point where he was afraid to shoot the basketball, and that was exposed on the biggest stage, Game 7 in an NBA playoff series in a game that his team should have won hands down, and the spotlight shined directly on him. So how does he respond? Well, there were some critical comments made of him, correct comments, but critical comments, and I would argue ill-timed comments from Doc Rivers and others. So Ben Simmons responds by, you spoke bad about me, even though I'm the original initial problem here. My offensive game is the initial problem here. You spoke bad about me. I don't want to play for your organization anymore, even though I've got four years left on my contract. I want you to keep paying me, okay? I'm going to feign a back injury. I'm going to say I'm not that into it. Although I'm not going to get the help that you want me to get by me saying that I'm not that into it. But I do want you to keep paying me. And I'm just going to be a problem and a pain in the rear end until you trade me. And what is his value now? So now he hasn't done anything to improve the deficiencies on the court. And then on top of that, you got this whole other bag of nonsense surrounding this guy. The fact that he is has been labeled a malcontent. I mean, what's a malcontent? To me, it's a guy who's getting paid and is under contract to play for a team and refuses to play for the team. That's a malcontent to me. Tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll accept that, but I don't think I am. He's getting paid. He doesn't want to play. We should all be so lucky. So who wants to bring that into their team on top of what he can't do offensively? Does he have a skill set that could help a lot of teams in the NBA? Absolutely. But the Knicks are not one of them. Ben Simmons is a good fit with a team that's that's close, that's a piece away, and that has assets to trade. The Knicks aren't a piece away. Look, the Knicks are a lot closer than they were this time last year. I mean, it took remember last year it took the Knicks forever to get over the 500 mark. Right now they're living above the 500 mark, okay? So they're a lot better than they were last year, but the Knicks aren't a piece away. And you don't trade your best piece. I understand he's not having the same type of season he had last year. I'm talking about Julius Randle. But he's still your best piece, okay? Julius Randle, nobody else on that Knicks team sucks the defense towards him the way Julius Randle does. So even if Julius Randle isn't putting up the same numbers as last year, his presence on the floor is allowing his teammates to put up better numbers because of all of the attention that other teams 
put on him. So you're not giving that guy up, plus Kemba Walker, plus draft picks for everything I just described Ben Simmons to be. You're not doing that right now. The Knicks aren't a piece away. The Warriors are a piece away. The Warriors, I think, are an interesting team for Ben Simmons because I also think there is something to be said about culture. And while I stand by my comments that right now he's a malcontent, I don't think he's going to go to an organization run by Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and act like a malcontent there. I absolutely don't think he will. The Warriors, right now, the best record in the NBA. I don't think they're the best team in the NBA, but they're playing like it, and they've got a ton of assets. And Ben Simmons could absolutely help them. 1-800-919-3776. JoJo checking in from Nutley. How's it going, JoJo? Hey, good evening, man. Uh, First-time caller for tonight's show. Um, Just uh, going over Ben Simmons, you know, I I wouldn't mind having him. I wouldn't mind having him on the team. Definitely, I agree with you guys. Too too much to give up for him. He's not that – he wouldn't be the answer for us. Um, I'm looking more towards, like, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and I believe that the Knicks have to do something sooner than later. I was going into this long – you know, if you look for their future schedule right now, they have to go 13 games where pretty tough that we could even win half of them. So, so far, you know, we're 2-1 since the Lakers and beating the Hawks. Like, those are two good wins. Losing to the Suns, I don't think anybody saw us doing that. Um, but I really see maybe a Lillard, a Towns. I know Mitchell Robinson doesn't really stay on the court, and I really like him. But if we can get somebody like a Towns, to, or, or, you know, a, a superstar just to facilitate, to help Randall out, I think that's a better answer. And I think Knicks fans, let, let's stay uh, positive through this uh, trip we have because it's a, a long stretch of tough games we got going. Thank you. Yeah, good call, JoJo. I agree. Um, the Knicks are in the middle of a seven-game stretch against really tough competition. They're four games into it, and they're 2-2. Two and two. They lost a tough game at Chicago, and then they beat the Lakers, who didn't have LeBron James, although the Knicks didn't have Derrick Rose. Uh, then the loss to Phoenix on Friday and last night's win at Atlanta. So they have three more games during this stretch. They're in Brooklyn on Tuesday. On Thursday, the Bulls are at the Garden. And then on Saturday, Denver, which right now doesn't have Nikola Jokic. And obviously, Jamal Murray hasn't played, but they're still a solid team. And that's a seven-game stretch against above 500 teams, or at least teams that were above 500 when that seven-game stretch began. Last night's win was huge because if you lose that game and going into that game, Atlanta was on a seven-game winning streak. The Knicks are coming off their worst performance of the season. They were without Derrick Rose, Kemba Walker, Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson. There was no reason to believe the Knicks were going to win that game. And the offensive shot making and the clutch plus the defensive effort were just so impressive in a game that they absolutely had to have. It gives you hope because if they lose that game, they fall back to 500. Now I'm looking at their schedule real quick. They have not, they haven't been at 500 all season long. The Knicks won their first game against Boston. They, they won their first two games, Boston and Orlando. They have managed to stay above 500. The entire season. Now, a couple of times they've fallen back to a game above 500. They were eight and seven. They were ten and nine. Now they're eleven and nine right now. But if they lost that game last night, they would be ten and ten. They'd be back at 500 for the first time this season, with Brooklyn coming up in Brooklyn on Tuesday night. So it was just a tremendously important game for the Knicks.
great win for the Knicks last night. Their tough stretch continues Tuesday night in Brooklyn. Then back-to-back -back tough home games at the Garden, Chicago, and Denver. As it that, it lightens up a little. Yes, they go out on the road, but San Antonio, Indiana, Toronto, all sub-500 teams. But last night, without four rotation players available, second night of a back-to-back. -back. And I know Atlanta was playing the second night of a back-to-back -back as well, but they were a lot healthier than the Knicks. Atlanta, Trey Young as their point guard, who tormented the Knicks in the playoffs last season. And the Knicks playing without, essentially, their two point guards. No Kemba Walker, no Derrick Rose. And they come through with the 99-90 to win. Here's Evan Fournier, who scored 20 points points on the Knicks getting that win despite the myriad injuries you know when you're two point guards down uh, or actually any players down uh, like that you know it's a Knicks made of mentality really uh, so you uh, try to compensate with more intensity with a uh, better focus and you know the fact that we did it uh, on the back-to-back -back is uh, very positive uh, we held them to 90 points uh, them being the second Best offense in the league, you know. It's uh, it, you know it shows that we're very capable. Um, now for us, it, it's a matter of consistency. Again, uh, we know we can beat anybody, but we also know we can lose against anybody and, and you know play uh, play very inconsistently. So we need to uh, look at that win, what we did good, and do it uh, again in uh, you know a couple of days. Couple days against Brooklyn. Now the Knicks bench is one of their strengths all season long, outscoring opponents game after game after game. But when you take Derrick Rose, the leader of that bench unit, out, you take Nerlens Noel out, you take his backup Taj Gibson out of the equation, and the Knicks reserves last night still outscored the Hawks bench thirty-one to nineteen. And out there with them a lot of the time was R.J. Barrett. Barrett had a nice shooting game, six for eleven from the field, fifteen points, seven rebounds. R.J. Barrett was a team-best plus 18 in the 31 minutes that he played, and he spoke about playing with some of those reserves. It was lots of fun, honestly. Uh, those guys, man, they work. They work, work hard every day, and to just be kind of thrown into the fire, especially against a team like Atlanta, you know, they really held their own. Um, they held their own, but, man, they work every day. You know, early group, they're running through all the plays. They're, they fight, they compete every day in practice. So, you know, wasn't surprised that they played well. RJ had 15 points, Obi Toppin 13 off the bench, Fournier scored 20, but in the third quarter and late in the second into the third, Trey Young got hot. He got scalding hot. We've seen him do that before, and it looked like one of those games where, okay, great effort by an undermanned Knicks team, but they ran out of steam, and here the Hawks are going to roll to victory. But the Knicks in that third quarter battled back again, and leading the way was big money AB, Alec Burks. Told you, big money AB. He's always he's always calm and collected. Uh, no matter what, he just you know he, he got us in our stuff. He took over in the third. Like you know he's he's really good for us. He's big time, and so you know it, it's great that that next man up mentality. You know definitely having the guys that we do on the bench. It's you know we don't miss a beat. So the Knicks are now 11-9. and nine. They'll be in Brooklyn on Tuesday night, first meeting of the season against the cross-river rival Brooklyn Nets. Our pregame coverage begins right here on 98.7 ESPN New York at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night. Now, here is the downside of where the Knicks are right now. We're a quarter of the way into the season, 11-9, 20 out of 82 games have been played. Great sign that the Knicks are above 500 and have remained above 500 from the start of the season through tonight. When you look at the early portion of the Knicks schedule, there are a lot of winnable games that they did not win 
that they squandered early in the season, and you don't get those games back. That's why when you're in the middle of a seven-game stretch like they are right now, Chicago, the Lakers, Phoenix, Atlanta, Brooklyn, Chicago, Denver, that's a really, really tough stretch. Those are seven really top-level opponents, with or without LeBron James to the Lakers, still had Anthony Davis, still had Russell Westbrook, and the Knicks still had to hold on to win that game. So that's a tough stretch. So when you look at those stretches, look, everything balances out in the NBA. And you go back earlier in the season, a loss at home to Orlando. Here, The Knicks have lost nine games this season. Now, they've lost to Chicago on the road. They lost to Milwaukee. They lost to Phoenix the other night. And they lost to Charlotte. And the Hornets are very good this season. Okay? Those are all excusable losses. Here are the ones that are harder to swallow. They lose to Cleveland at home. Now, Cleveland is much improved at 10-10. and 10, But that's a game that you need to win if you're going to be serious about being in the top half of the standings in the Eastern Conference. They lose at home to Toronto, who's 9-12. and 12. They lose to Indiana, which is 9-13. and 13. And the two that are inexcusable, not once but twice, losing at home to the Orlando Magic. I mean, the Knicks have played the Magic three times this season. The first time they played them, it was game number two. It was in Orlando. The Knicks set a franchise record by hitting 24 three-pointers. They ran the Magic out of their own gym. They played them two nights later, built a double-digit lead in the first half, led up in the second, and lost 110-104. to And then a couple of weeks after that, Orlando comes back into the Garden and beats the Knicks 104-98. to The Magic right now are 4-17. and Half of their wins have not only come against the Knicks, they have come at Madison Square Garden. And when you're looking at a gauntlet later on, look at this in mid-December. Milwaukee... Golden State, then Houston, but then Boston. All right, that's a really tough stretch. Wouldn't you love to have those Orlando games back at that point? So that's the downside of where the Knicks are right now with a record of 11-9. and But last night's win in Atlanta was one that ahead of the game, if you play the win-loss game ahead of time, that was one you had marked down in the loss column. And for the Knicks to flip that one and drag it over into the win column was huge. And we'll see how they carry that momentum into Tuesday night's battle against Brooklyn at Barclays Center. This is 98.7 ESPN.